0: I um Welcome back to the program. I almost don't want to welcome Greg Wyshynski from ESPN to the program because this is going to be essentially a 30-minute victory lap, but here we go. Congratulations, Greg. Your team is going to win the World Juniors. <laughs> now, hold on. I, it's over. I,
1: was un- I was under the impression that we were going to celebrate something else. Uh, off the top of the
0: show. Oh, we're gonna get to yeah. we're gonna get to Steve Staysos as well. Don't worry how you. All right,
1: right about good. That. Well, let's, okay, let, let's start with World. Don't Junior. worry. So I let me get it out of the way. Let me get out of the way. Uh, first of all, welcome to the era of American hockey dominance. I was just talking to somebody <laughs> earlier today about the fact that you and I, yeah, when we did MBSW very early on in the show, we talked about the fact uh-huh. that all the only thing standing in the way of the Americans to dominate hockey was the numbers game was the idea of getting our best elite athletes to play hockey. And it still hasn't yes. happened. I think most of our best elite athletes
0: still play uh, you know, professional football and basketball, but it's, that's, that's changed. That's changing, man. It's that's change, changing. Well,
1: well, what's that's changing, changing is the number of elite American athletes. There are now playing hockey and, and the fact that we can yeah. go toe to toe with the Canadians in like a best on best tournament with the Hughes brothers, Nick Chucks, and Austin Matthews and Jack Eichel. But, you know, the Keep thing going. that had to change wasn't necessarily the numbers game, it was the geography game. And the, the, what we're seeing now is is the is the the seeds that were planted in putting hockey teams in non-traditional markets blossoming into players yep. like the Hughes coming from Florida, like Austin Matthews coming from the desert in Arizona. Uh, you're starting to see all these kids come through the system now and the talent level has been raised and you're going to start seeing the Americans pump
0: the Canadians in they these will. tournaments. <laughs> the, it, 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 which, is, which is why I think if you're a Canadian hockey fan, you should be discouraging the NHL from sending their athletes to the Olympics. There's no point. <laughs> these are NHLers. These little Olympic gold medals are really meaningless. The Stanley Cup is the only thing that means anything, Greg washinsky uh, No, but you're right. And the the other thing about it too, and this isn't lost uh, on a lot of people in Canada as well, um, a there's the 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 mass of athlete in america there's the quality of athlete in america there's a number of uh, that elite level athletes that are choosing hockey like i was making this point. like if austin matthews wanted to play football austin matthews is going to go play football and would have been really good at it as well he chose hockey there's a lot of other u.s born athletes that are choosing hockey first now and where that is frightening is not only are you getting the elite from this country of 300 million people, but also there's an elite infrastructure for all of them, and there's elite resources. Like, I'm always stunned because i 've got two kids that play, uh, that play rep hockey travel hockey, as you call it in the states, and whenever we go to tournaments in the United States, like I, I have like, like I have like these immigrant fantasies about going to the United States <laughs> where the streets are paved with gold and the, and, like, and the marble floors and all these arenas like, this is I walk into these facilities and the arenas, and i 'm just like oh, wow like w- was this what it was like when you know Americans would come to to Canada and see like the the Canadian facilities and say like wow I wish we had that because right now like there's a whole lot of US infrastructure envy that's happening so the money's there the talent is there the infrastructure is there all of it is there for the United States like it's almost going to become at a certain point the expectation that America starts dusting the field on a consistent basis it should that's the way it's all I love trending it.
1: I love it. It's a, it's a Neil Diamond song, except it's about a snack bar at a hockey, youth hockey rink, and how great it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're coming
1: to them. So, here's the thing about
0: Please it. Here, here's the thing about it, too. This is, mm-hmm. I know, it's gonna, this is great for you. I'm assisting in this victory lap. I know. But for the longest time, and I, my Canadian friends don't like it when I say this, but they all know that it's true. For the longest time, canadians um really had a hard time understanding why other countries didn't love hockey the way that canada did oh this is the greatest sport in the world how come they don't get it in the states how come they don't Mm -hmm. get it in sweden like we do or finland or like wherever take your pick choose your country most notably the united states because they're our neighbors and now the united states has paid attention fall completely fallen in love with the game is producing elite-level athletes on a consistent basis and is now, at times, the trend is very much going this direction, better than Canada. And a lot of Canadians are upset about it. It's like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, like, we have this wonderful thing and we want to export it to the world and then get upset when they have the nerve to be better than us at it. Hmm. But there is very much that vibe. It does very much exist. But that's okay because that's why this is going to be the best rivalry in hockey.
1: Can you say the same thing you just said, but like slower and sexier? Now, here's the thing.
0: Um, I can. I am, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling a little under the weather, so my my voice is going to drop an octave. <laughs> I can call you later on tonight after I have some ZQL. <laughs> Please do. When you snuggle when when you snuggle up, and I can say it all oh, sultry it and sickly, Greg.
1: That's right. I want I want Midnight Soul, Jeff Merrick, but you're talking about U.S. hockey dominance <laughs> over Canada. And hey, listen. The other thing that happened, obviously, in yeah. the World Junior Tournament, uh, the moment that Canada lost, one, they were eliminated. But more importantly, it's like in Cinderella when the clock strikes, strikes midnight and the, uh, yeah. the coach turns into a pumpkin again. Ooh. The minute the Canadians are eliminated from World Juniors, the clock strikes, strikes midnight and poof, they're all just kids. They're all just kids again. All I mean, that, happens so all the that happens putting so pressure on the poor the time. babies. The poor Canadian babies. They're just kids. I saw Mark Bethat mention the other day, Merrick, that they had to yeah. give up Christmas for the tournament. They had to give up Christmas for the tournament, Jeff. That's why they couldn't handle it. Their brains were all scrambled. They had to give up Christmas. They're just children.
0: First of all, first of all, first of all, every kid plays hockey tournaments at Christmas in this country i'm sure it's the same way in the united states when you're a, when you're a, a hockey family uh in canada specifically at the triple a level uh, christmas is hockey tournaments so that's nothing that's that that's that's nothing new that one that one doesn't with me i i i, I can't do that one as as parents of uh, as parents of kids that play high level hockey i can't i can't do with that <laughs> because they do like you just surrender your christmases like they don't exist it's time for tournaments. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, but th- but that's a lo- but that's a long-standing tradition, you know. When they it, lose, it's, it's like oh, we'll think about them, protect them. But building them on so the way up it's like you build stupid. them up as if they're super, they're superstars. And uh. look, never, you and I have had this never, discussion just, before. You know what the, you know you never, know what this is. You know what this is. What this what is, is a development tournament. This is a development tournament. This is like the Ivan Hlinka, Wayne Gretzky. This is like the U18. This is like the u 7 This is like all these development tournaments. These are tournaments that were designed mainly for. Scouts. That's what these tournaments are for. Somehow, along the way, we've turned this into an audit on our national identity and one of mm-hmm. our two national sports. Right. It's, and I, I, say, I, I say, everyone, just calm down. These are tournaments for scouts. We want to wrap ourselves in a, a, a Canadian flag and pour maple syrup all over ourselves around Christmas time around these kids. These are tournaments for scouts. That's so we'll
1: add, we'll, add, we'll add these are tournaments to scouts to the defense mechanism that is everything that's said when the Canadians get eliminated. Keeping in mind that when they win, it's a moment to underscore Canadian exceptionalism in the sport. When they lose, it becomes one of a few things. We'll add... It's a, it's a tournament for yeah. scouts to the list that includes uh, all of our best players are currently in the NHL that would be eligible to play in the tournament. That's a, t- a tried and true excuse. Uh, there's also... Uh, We are the scrappy underdogs, and therefore, if we do not win the tournament, it was to be expected we wouldn't win. Mm -hmm. I saw the Hockey News put out an article that said that Canadians weren't even expected to win the tournament. So how could we be upset about them losing in the quarterfinals? And then, you know, the last one, of course, being the most popular one being
0: they're just children. We cannot criticize the children. here I am talking to one of my great American friends about sports propaganda. I find that (laughs) endlessly ironic. (laughs) Well,
1: again, like we, I've said for years, you know, maybe <laughs> as we get better at World Juniors and start yeah. winning this thing on the reg, it will mean more. We've yeah. always been in this now, unique position as Americans to celebrate the yeah. victories but not get crushed by the defeats. Like, we are never going to have a national symposium on the quality of our we goal shouldn't. if we I... lose in World Juniors. Tell you, what. you guys do, but you won't this it's... time because you lost we... on a bad bounce, which is the only reason you won't have the symposium is because it wasn't necessarily <laughs> the goalie's fault.
0: There's, like, I don't have a whole... I, I don't really dabble in the, oh, I feel so awful for uh, for, for these kids. always Because, listen, the, the, by the time these kids get to the World Juniors, they've heard everything about their game. Okay, from either coaches or other teams or scouts or whomever. Like, there's already a wall. Like, there's already scars, right? Built up by the time these kids get to the World of Juniors because the World of Juniors is comprised of whichever team has the best 19 year olds wins. This is a 19 year olds tournament. And by the time you're 19, you've heard everything about your game. But there's one moment, and it has nothing to do with the player. There is one moment, and I've always gone out of my way to make this point, Wish where I'm like, oh, jeez, my heart just, oh, just exploded. And that is um, when at the end of the game, they did the cutaway to Matisse Russo's family and his mom specifically. And I've always felt there is a special place in heaven for goalie moms. And mm. nobody, nobody, maybe this is like, I, I'm going to need you to play like, like, like shrink for me here for a second. So I was a goalie <laughs> growing up. Okay. I was a goaltender growing have... did up. I, did hold on? Did I know
1: yeah. that? Did I know so... that about you that you were a goalie growing up?
0: Wow. Oh yeah, okay. you must have. Yeah, I was a goaltender. Yeah, and then okay. when I didn't get drafted in the OHL, I did what all responsible athletes did. I quit. So, um, so, and so, I was a goalie growing up, and I never understood what my parents went through when I was a goaltender and how they you live and die on every save or every goal, specifically mom. Now, my mom passed away when I was 16 years old. So I never got a chance to understand what she went through or kind of say, hey, mom, thanks for hanging in there all those years. And maybe that's why I have this like incredible soft spot for goalie moms. So the, all the goalie moms listening or watching right now, bless all of you because nobody, nobody, like nobody goes through the ups and downs of a game quite like a goalie mom. But that was the only moment, Greg, where I was yeah. like, oh, okay. That's the gut punch here. I just need to go for a little walk here, cause I, cause listen, you're 19 years old. You've heard everything about your game. Let's just let's just park all that and let's park the oh, they're only children, barely out of the cradle, barely old enough to pee straight. Like let's stop all that, okay? Like, it, but the goalie mom thing. Oh, Greg, that was a moment where I was like, oh, geez, I don't know if um, I can do that one. The cutaway to yeah, the moms, and, that's tough. And you, know it, and you know it better than everyone. Like, it's not
1: only just the stress of watching your kid be the goalie and playing the most important position on the ice. It's also raising a goalie. It's raising a complete superstitious nutter who you have to deal with on a psychological <laughs> uh, level uh, that like, the, the mom of the center doesn't have to do.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh that's certainly true as well. Okay, so that is that is one. Now we're getting ahead of ourselves here. There's still hockey to be played, etc., etc. etc. Um, you know, I'm sure like you know, Czechia and Finland will like to have something to say here before we get to the uh, US Sweden final and then US supremacy. But mm-hmm. um the other one, and you're on this right away, um Steve Steos mm-hmm. decides he's the best man for the job. As you said that he would. I gotta give full props to you. I thought that they were gonna wait till the end of the season, it'd be Matthew Darsh right this way. You mm-hmm. said Steve Steos from day one, take your victory lap, Greg Washinsky.: I just I just figured that at
1: the end of the day, that's who the owner was gonna to want to run his team. And at the end of the day, whoever Steos bought in was only gonna be kind of, you know, his Darth Maul in the sense that Steios was still gonna run the team. So why not just take all the jobs for yourself? Because that's essentially what the <laughs> is in the best interest of where the senators are going. Now, the Darch thing's interesting because, yeah. like, again, I, I, I kind of I feel like I feel like this is a stronger front office. If it's stays out, run and shop and Darch is as the number two. But maybe maybe Darch isn't interested in that because he has been interviewing for the top jobs in other places.
0: Here's what I wonder about. Yes. Why did that happen when it happened? These are all decisions that could have happened at the end of the season.
1: Correct. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. The timing on it doesn't add up.
0: So the timing, well, I I think the timing of it does add up if we are to assume that they have business they need to take care of. And the trade deadline, like that's our next sort of destination here after All-Star, right, is trade deadline.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, Ottawa, like by the time you get to January, you know what's under the hood. You know what your team is. You know who the players are. You know where they're headed. There are some teams that are like, eh, maybe they'll get in, maybe they won't. We're not so sure. Eh, maybe we're gonna, you know, kick the can down the road here a little bit. But a lot of teams pretty much know what they have and mm-hmm. who they are and where they're going. And Ottawa is one of those teams, which leads me to believe that by naming Steve Staley as general manager and bringing in Dave Poulin and uh, bumping up Ryan Bonus, who I'm sure somewhere down the road, maybe sooner than later. Will be the general manager of the Ottawa Senators when he is ready, and Steve Deusos will still you know uh, uh retain the senior position with the Ottawa Senators mm-hmm. organization. It mm-hmm. doesn't not feel to you like they've made up their minds, they know what they have to do, and now it's time to roll up the sleeves and do it and in order to do so, they need some cement to harden here first around some titles
1: maybe I mean i again I, I still think at the end of the day it's Michael and Lauer handing. Having handed the keys to Steve Steos back in September of last year and knowing mm-hmm. that he's going to be the one running shop, it's not as if like if he was still interim GM, you know, someone else calls the senators to make a trade. And they're like, oh, my God, who do I talk to? No, You, give, you talk to Steve Steos. I mean, like he's going to be the guy you talk to even when there's a bunch of other guys working in the organization with him. But I do think that it does allow you to build out the cabinet a little bit, allow you to understand better the power structure of the team going forward. Um, Mm -hmm. and ultimately again, like the, the thing is very much the idea that you've, you've chosen who you want to rebuild this team or, 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 or or turn this team into a winner and it's Steve Steos and it doesn't matter who's working underneath him and whatever tasks they're going to have, it's his team. Now, I do find it interesting that you bring up the bonus thing because when I, I agree. Like I, it feels very much like we are giving you a, a more important title. We want to keep you around. This will eventually be your gig yes. when you're ready. But it yes. does yeah. remind you of all of those other times that we've seen the scenario play out around the league, where the number two doesn't always get to be the number one. It has played out that way in places like Colorado, for example. Uh, it has played out in places yep. like like that in New York, for example, with the Rangers and Chris Drury. But I always think mm-hmm. about anointed ones when I think about, like, the Pittsburgh Penguins and how we had a tree of of managers come from that organization because they were all not getting the gig that Jim Rutherford refused to give up, <laughs> <laughs> right? And and so that, I always think about that as the exception to the rule, I guess, of, yeah, we all, like, there was a yeah. time when everyone assumed Jason Botterell was going to be the GM there or assumed that Bill Guerin was going to be the GM there. Like, one of the two was going to get it. Yep. And then both had to leave.
0: Yep. Yep. That, um, that is very much a thing. Uh, you know where no one has thought that anyone underneath them was going to get the job? Where? Oh, come on, Greg. This is right in front of your face. One oh, of your best impressions.
1: <laughs> and Merle, well, with Lou and, and, and the island? <laughs>
0: yeah. Lou and the yeah, island? Well, uh, Lou at the no, they always as well? <laughs>
1: they always assumed that one guy was going to get the job, which was the guy named Lamarillo who, who sprung
0: from Lou's loins. It's the only other I guy that I thought was ever going to get the job. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, exactly. Okay, so those are the two victory laps for you. Um, what else is burning on your mind today? We saw Crosby well, and Ovechkin again last night. If you want You're, to take a whack at that pinata, no, no. We've I have been back since two thousand and five.
1: I want to ask you about because you were the so you were the one who first reported on the um, Hartman situation with with Perfetti about the, the the live mic, the hot mic, and correct. It yeah. makes total it it makes total sense. I mean, like there has to be yeah, some. Yeah, just just so of all of sense. our
0: listeners and viewers, know like yeah, please. So he, here here's what Greg's talking about. So the NHL Players Association. Uh, were asked by the NHL if their players would wear mics. This is coming out of the 0405 lockout. This is a way you know promote the game, get more behind the scenes. This was the era of you know we're going to do these HBO 24/7. Look behind the look look behind the curtain at what's you know the what's behind a hockey team. And one of the things the NHL wanted was players to wear mics so we can hear guys go pucks in deep, hey hit them hard, forecheck, forecheck, oh backcheck, heads up, oh watch a high slot, f one, f one, f one, all those types of exciting things. And the Players Association had some trepidation about it. Um, But the agreement that they reached with the NHL was the players will agree to wear mics as long as nothing they say can be used against that player when it comes to discipline. Now, before you go any further on that, the, uh, the theory behind that is there's a lot of things that players say to one another that they don't necessarily mean on the ice. Yet right. when it is isolated in front of, you know, whoever the head of the Department of Player Safety is at that time, it can make it look like it's premeditated, where if you're close enough to the ice surface, you hear players threatening each other all the time. Not to let Ryan Hartman off easy on this one, eh, it's a pretty good smack in the face to someone that's had, you know, issues about his melon uh, before, but that's, that's the yeah. background on that Winnipeg, Minnesota situation. Right.
1: You don't you don't want it to be a situation where you know the Department of Player Safety suspends Milan Lucic for threatening to eat the children of the Montreal Canadiens in the handshake line. <laughs> like you don't want that to happen. But here's the uh... I, I, I complete, here, here's a, the first thing I thought about when you when you mentioned that agreement is yeah. people probably don't understand how much you don't hear. Like on top of there being oh, controls in place for the players to be protected from having their words used against them in disciplinary hearings, like, you. there's a reason yeah. you don't get to hear what happens between the benches or within the two penalty boxes. Uh I, I don't oh, yeah. know if you guys know this, but the teams have final cut on those 24-7 shows that we all loved. I know they for sure a do. fact they that sure there are do. things that were said on the ice in those shows that were removed from the shows hours before they aired, going back to the HBO days. Yeah, So, Like already there are controls in place on on what the live mics can can tell us. In this case, I found it to be really interesting because it was another example in my mind of the NHLPA having to serve all of its players, even if its players are in the wrong and do illegal things. Um, Because in this case, it's protecting everybody's speech from being used against them, even if the speech is, I am going to hit you in the face as a retaliatory move. <laughs> and, and that's something that maybe you'd like to have on the record if you're Perfetti or somebody who gets injured in a situation like that. But you can't do it. And, and so it's they're all agreeing on it, much like they're all agreeing on we're going to cap fines at a certain amount of money, you know, in case maybe it's you one day who does something bad and wouldn't you want it to just be capped at like five K like it's the same sort of thing. They've got to serve all the different masters. Same thing. One thing I found really interesting though, Merrick in, in, in researching this for a little bit over the last 24 hours. Now let, let's say clearly the department of player safety does not feel that what Hartman did is worth a suspension. It's, it's a, it's a knock to the head. It's a nasty play. They, they didn't think it's yeah. suspendable. And we know they didn't think it's suspendable because when this new stuff came to light and Perfetti's words do mean something, it's not like you have to catch them on tape. It's not Watergate. Okay. Like they, it, Perfetti could just say <laughs> that this guy threatened to retaliate against me. And that would be good enough. It happens all the time in these hearings, but the department of player safety clearly felt that this instance did not rise to the level of a suspension. However, if there was something a, a little bit more, okay. Let's let's go here. Like for example, if there was like a bounty, okay. Right, if Perfetti came out and said, "I well, learned that there was a bounty." You can't put a bounty on a man's head.
0: <laughs> you I can't. Right.
1: Do what that? if it was something like that? Well, I learned, <laughs> Merrick, that even yeah. if the Department of Player Safety had fined Hartman, they could go back and suspend him. Yeah. Like there is a, to to, to paraphrase Lebowski, a new stuff that comes to light provision where you can find a guy then suspend the guy it's not as if you find the guy and then you wipe yeah. your hands of it case closed we solve the mystery if if the perfetti thing yeah. did come right rise to the level of we think this guy did something really heinous uh and called his shot and, and and was trying to intentionally injure somebody as a eye for an eye situation mm-hmm. like they could have gone back and suspended him but ultimately they didn't yeah. feel like the play warranted a suspension
0: the, the interesting thing about this, too, and, you know, the, the example that I'll raise is uh, Marty McSorley told me this uh, going back to the 93 playoffs when he was with the Los Angeles Kings. So uh, I remember we were it was when I used to work with Marty, and we were out for dinner one day after a show, and I asked him about the, uh, the elbow to Doug Gilmore coming over the blue line and then the Wendell clark Marty McSorley fight. And I, I said, like, you know, that was like an elbow you threw from the cellar to Gilmore and it's one of the worst elbows you know that, that we've ever seen mm. and he said look I told, I went to the Leafs bench and I said Wendell you stop running at Gretzky or he's gonna get it and he pointed at Doug Gilmore and mm. Wendell Clark kept running at Wayne Gretzky and Marty was like well, okay I've warned you like you know what's gonna happen and Gilmore stepped over the blue line and Marty hit him with an elbow from hell and then the wow. whole thing exploded we know that these things have happened. We've had yeah. players tell us that, you know what, this is the way you do it. This is the way you handle it on the ice. This is players protecting one another. You know, if someone fouls your superstar, don't go after that guy, go after their superstar. I mean, listen, Brett Hull would talk about this all the time. Like, you know, we st- like, would we'll tell them, before, like, will you stop going at their star player because I'm going to get it? Like, we've all known this. Like the funniest thing that maybe not funniest, but the, one of the most interesting things that I found surrounding the entire Hartman Perfetti thing is, is how everybody pretended like this never happens before. Oh, this hasn't always been part of the game. It's been part of the game since water froze and we dropped a you know frozen cow patty on it. Like yeah, this has been part of hockey forever. Like this idea that aha, now finally we've caught someone threatening someone else. What? Oh, excuse me. Like did you not find that? I don't know. Even to be polite, a little bit weird.
1: So, how do you feel about per- Perfetti talking about it?
0: I'm fine with it. He can say that. This, you, don't you don't think there's a little bit
1: of listen? This whole you You don't think there's a little bit of of the magician talking about the trick aspect of him coming out and saying, "Well, this was said."
0: Nah. Nah, you know what, you know, this season more than any other season that I can recall is like a telenovela. Like this is like the biggest soap (laughs) opera every single day in this league. Does it not feel this way to you? Like, honestly, wish. Like, every single day, I feel like I'm covered a soap opera. (laughs) Oh, which is fine, which is good. Like, listen, the the NBA is a soap opera, and people love it and gets you more attached to the game. Like, I'm cool with all of it. But this maybe it's just making the adjustment to, like, this is the way hockey is now. I'm cool with it. It's great. It gets people more attached to the product. It provides new storylines and new uh, entry points of intrigue. I love all of that for it, but I just wasn't prepared for it. (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't ready I to know. cover hockey like this on a day-to-day basis. So when you hear Perfetti say that, I kind of just go, oh, yeah, put it over there. Just another day in the NHL.
1: And we're only four years removed from the NHL's iconic advertisement saying no soap operas, just hockey, to sell its NHL.TV oh, package. All... An actual thing they published saying operas. no soap operas. Just hockey, as if soap operas aren't what sell sports. Um, th- my breaking point. Can I was tell you, the Corey hang on, Perry can I thing. can I tell you another the one? The thing was. The can I tell you another one? Hey.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Can I tell you one, one more thing about, about just another great example? It's a sort of shot at Toronto Radio here in a little bit. When I used to work at a station called Mojo Radio, which was promoted as like the big guy I remember Mojo station. Radio, yeah. When the sta- yeah. W- when, yeah, remember Mojo? So the station launched. They had all these billboards all over the city, and there was a picture of a figure skater. And over top of it, on, on this billboard, it said, not a guy topic. You know what the oh first God. year of the entire station revolved around Soleil and Pelletier, and how they, these two Canadian figure <laughs> skaters got robbed of a gold medal. And I would sit there and go, like, we got a billboard saying we're not talking about figure skating, and all you guys want to do is talk about just Jamie Soleil and Pelletier I just, getting robbed of it. a gold medal.
1: Not a guy, not a <laughs> guy hilarious. topic. Not a guy topic. Check <laughs> check the ratings for the gold medal <laughs> final in the Olympics for women's figure skating, and the ratings for the Stanley Cup final. I know. In the given season to tell you what's not a guy topic. Uh, the Corey Perry thing is what broke uh, me. The, the thing you just said, your exasperation about all of the telenovelas of this season, that that was the moment completely. when that story broke. The Perry stuff and the the, the social media innuendo stuff came out. That was the one where I just looked at it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like every single week. I, f- I said, this must be what it's like to be an NBA writer. Like, it's like, it's like on top of all yeah. the on the court stuff. You've got all this other stuff going yeah. on in the background at all times.
0: Yep. But here's the thing, though. I know it may feel like we may get exasperated by it. I guess we just made this point, too. But I think at the end of it, like, listen, you're a pro wrestling guy. You know that this attaches you to your product more course it does it is this it, this extends your life as a fan it completely does as long as but one thing has to happen one thing has to happen for all of it to work and you know what that one thing is what's that people have to embrace being a villain right or else least, not oh, we've works. talked about that for years for years someone like as people have to be able to embrace being the bad guy Someone's got to embrace being the villain or else the whole thing falls apart. As long as you have someone willing to be a villain, then you got it. Then the whole, the whole thing works, whether it's sports, soap operas, whatever, it doesn't matter. You have a villain, it works. That's the key to all of it. That's, and it doesn't have to be
1: a person, it could be a team. And that's why I'd be kind a league. Of find look Vegas. at the John
0: Scott phenomenon.
1: Yeah, sure. I, that's why I find Vegas so intriguing right now. Like, where is Vegas? Like, is it, I feel like there is a certain amount of animosity towards Vegas just because they are the, the reigning yes. champion, because of the way they've treated yes. their, their former players, uh, because of because of, they're Vegas, because it came so easily. Like, there is a certain amount of animosity built to that team. I don't know if they necessarily so, get to the level of villainry that we've had in other teams that have become a point of animosity around the league, but Vegas is the closest thing maybe to A team that people loathe. Well, okay. We should, I should remember. The the Blackhawks own that still because of everything that happened off the ice. But from an on ice perspective, it may be Vegas close enough.
0: So here's my theory. I'm glad you got me there. Here's my theory about Vegas when you look at teams that draw the best out of other teams, Vegas is number one. You look at Vegas games against Minnesota, against Colorado, against Los Angeles, against Edmonton, against Dallas, at times when they're good, and that's not right now, San Jose, common denominator there is Vegas. Generally, by the end of the year, if you measure up like, okay, what were the best games of the year? A lot of them are Vegas. And that is because I believe there is no team that is as despised, and I say that as a compliment, as a compliment, as the Vegas Golden Knights. So they bring out the best in Minnesota, the best in Edmonton, the best in Colorado, the best in Dallas, the best in Los Angeles. That's why those Vegas games are so good. Remember that Colorado Vegas game in preseason that we were like, is this game seven Stanley cup final? Like, did I, was I asleep that long? Like, is this June? Like that game was incredible. It's a preseason game. And you felt like this is like for all the marbles and everyone knew like this was the last game they were ever going to play. I think it's because there is no team, again, a compliment as despised as Vegas. They bring out the best because no one wants to get, concede an inch to the Vegas Golden Knights, which makes their success that much more remarkable.
1: There's three. There's three teams that I think are the the best accelerants in the league right now. To that end, Vegas is one of them. Okay, uh, Boston's another, yep. just by by being Boston and 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 being as good as they've been. And then the ultimate hmm. one is always Toronto. Like every. I love watching the Leafs are the Cowboys, like the Leafs are the, no matter what they are doing or where they are in the standings or who their goalie (laughs) is like every time you sit down to watch a Leafs game, that's not against their usual collection of opponents. It's fantastic to watch because it means so much to those guys on the other team from Ontario or from other parts of Canada that resent the Leafs to beat that team it's always so entertaining it's the same thing as you put the cowboys on the road against any team whether it's the bills or whoever outside of their division it's always must watch because it means so much you know stephen a smith's going to talk about you the next morning because you're playing the cowboys and it's the same (laughs) thing as the
0: leafs So uh, does that mean, then mean, by extension, we'll end on this one because I want to attribute something to you on this. I would like a lovely quote. Are you calling the Maple Leafs Canada's team then?
1: <laughs> they are Canada's team. They're, they're Canada's team for the simple fact that, that they are the Say team that again. That
0: Canada... on. Say Say that. I will say Say it. that again and then give it an audio signature. Give it an audio signature as well. What is an audio signature? I'm not. I'm a podcaster, for God's sake. I'm Greg Washinsky. Okay. I'm Greg <laughs> Uh I'm,
1: I'm Greg Wachinski, and the Toronto Maple Leafs are Canada's team. But you understand why? Because they're the team that people in Canada care the most about. Like say, like the Canucks. The Canucks inspire certain emotions, and Connor inspires certain emotions, and Montreal, when they're relevant, certainly inspires certain emotions. Toronto inspires the most emotions and I've often said imagine if there's an Edmonton Toronto final what those poor bastards in Calgary are going to do like what are they going to do they can't root for Connor (laughs) but they certainly can't root for the Leafs so what happens then that's why they're Canada's team
0: That's a conflict. All right. uh, On that, we got to go. Toronto, uh, you're a nice bunch of teams. Uh, Greg, you're a great bunch of guys. Uh, Always love being with you. Um, Best of luck, health and happiness to your family in 2024. And we'll talk again in seven days, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thanks, everybody.